0: Thank you. It was an interesting dilemma before I began preparing this message. I was thinking, well, who should I prepare it for? Should I prepare it for Christians or should I prepare it for mostly non-Christians or should I do a combination thereof? And after giving it considerable thought, I decided that this message is going to be given mostly to non-Christians with the emphasis of this message being to non-Christians. So if you know a non-Christian that's not here today, um, get the tape. Share share the tape with them. Um, But it's also my hope and prayer that as I share and as this message is given to the non christian that as Christians you will gain from this and you'll be better able to serve your uh, friends who have abuse problems. Maybe you'll be able to counsel with them, the the drug addict or the alcoholic or the person who's abusing alcohol. So hopefully you'll gain from this as well. Uh, Before we get started today, I'd like to make just a few opening comments and remarks. If you are here today and you're an alcohol or drug abuser or an alcoholic, as I said, much of what I'm going to say today will be directed to you. Don't take offense. My purpose isn't to embarrass you. It's not to hurt you, to harm you, or or to get you angry at me. My purpose is simply to show you what the Bible says about your condition and to show you that there's hope and that that hope is not in the bottle or in some needle, but it's in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you live with or you have a friend or relatives that have problems with alcohol or drugs, well then again, I hope you're gonna gain some insight from this session and that you'll be able to use what you gain and encourage your friends and encourage your loved ones. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Would you take your Bibles? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, we'll pick up there, I'll give you time to turn to Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. The Bible also says that wine is a mocker. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And that's found in the book of Proverbs, and that's in the 20th chapter of Proverbs. Let me start this session by asking you a question. Do you believe that alcohol is a problem in the United States? Raise your hand if you do. Let me give you a few statistics as we begin this message. The Institute of Medicine of the National Academy of Science indicates the following that an average young person begins to drink at the age of 13 years old. Did you know that? And that by the time they are in high school, by the time they're high school seniors, 80% have used alcohol and approximately 62% have been drunk. did you know that alcohol is the most commonly used drug among teenagers it's accessible readily accessible the statistics on alcoholism are mind boggling alcoholism and alcohol abuse are serious problems in this society today alcoholism and alcohol abuse in the united states cost society from 40 to 60 billion dollars annually and this is due to lost production health care needs motor vehicle accidents, violent crimes, social programs that respond to alcohol and drug abuse. And did you know that half of all traffic fatalities are alcohol related? Did you know that as you leave this building tonight and as you're driving home, that one out of every 10 people that, you, that are coming towards you on the opposite side of the road is an alcoholic, addicted to alcohol? Does that make you feel safe? One-third of all traffic injuries are related to the abuse of alcohol, and it's estimated that over 3 million teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17 in the United States today are problem drinkers. Recent studies show that youths who began drinking before they turned 15 were twice as likely to develop an alcohol problem, and they are four times more likely to develop alcohol dependence. About 43% of U.S. adults, that's 76 million people, have been exposed to alcoholism in the family. And an estimated 6.6 million children under 18 live in households with at least one alcoholic parent. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? And listen to this. Two-thirds of the population consumes alcohol, but just 10% of those drinkers drink half of all alcohol consumed. A few more statistics. Alcohol contributes to 100,000 deaths annually in this country. So I ask you again, do you think that alcohol abuse is a problem? Yeah, it's a serious problem. Not only is it a problem with society, it's a problem spiritually, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. It's estimated that there's at least 10 million alcoholics in America, and at least 3.3 million teenage alcoholics. That's 19% of all American teenagers. And statistics are rising rapidly. But you know, alcohol and, and drinking, it's, it's never been really portrayed as, it's, it's always portrayed as a, a glamorous pastime. You see it in the commercials, on TV. And whenever alcohol is advertised in the media, it's, it's usually associated with a man of distinction. Instead of a drunken bum lying in the gutter. And in Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise men. And he said, Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And in verse 18, he gives the negative command. He says, And be not drunk with wine, in which is excess. And then he goes on and says, But be filled with the Spirit. And in all three verses, he's simply paralleling this same idea that the wisest person is the one who does the will of God. Being filled with the Spirit is using wisdom and determining the will of God. Whereas being drunk or high on some drug is being out of God's will, and it's acting foolishly. Paul's saying that if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for comfort, he's telling you to seek it in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be your only recess source for joy and exhilaration. Everyone wants to be happy. And you know, that's okay. God's not some kind of cosmic killjoy. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says, Solomon says, there is a time to laugh. Solomon said, a merry heart doth good like a medicine. John 15.11, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. John one four, the apostle John says, "These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full." And Luke two ten, on the day of Jesus' birth, an angel said, "Behold, I bring you great tidings of what? Great joy." You see, God, He's got no problems with us feeling joy, real joy, but He wants us to find it in the right places. And people want to be truly happy, but many times their their circumstances they make them miserable. And they turn to the needle or they turn to the bottle. There's a popular liquor out there and it's called Southern Comfort. You heard of it? But you know in Ephesians 5.18 the Apostle Paul says the real comforter is the Holy Spirit. And 1 Peter 5.7 says to cast all your cares upon him for he what? Cares for you. Intoxication is never the remedy for the cares of this life because all it does, it adds more problems to an already guilt-ridden soul. And the world tries to convince us that alcoholism is is a disease, but you know, it's more than that, it is a sin. It's simply the manifestation of human depravity. As any other sin, it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be confessed. Did you know that every mention of drunkenness in the Bible shows a disastrous consequence? Being drunk is always wrong for the Christian. And guess what? It's always wrong for the non-Christian. It's just not acceptable. It's a sin. Drunkenness destroys. Noah became drunk, and in his nakedness he acted shamelessly. Lot became drunk and his daughters committed incest with him. Nabal became drunk at a crucial time and God took his life. Belshazzar, he became drunk and and had his kingdom taken away from him. The Corinthians got drunk at the Lord's table and some of them died as a result. In Scripture, drunkenness is always associated with immorality, unrestrained living, reckless behavior, and drunkenness also discredits. 1 Corinthians, listen to this. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says. 5.11, Paul says, But now I am writing that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. See, what Paul's saying here is if a person claims to be a believer and yet they're a drunkard and they're living in a drunkard state of life, you shouldn't even be eating with them. Have no common fellowship with them. What you need to do is pray for them, share the gospel with them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, uh, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous, now listen, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived; neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, rivalers Excuse me. Uh, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians five nineteen says it again. It says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity. Debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, envy, drunkenness. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're talking of pretty serious sin here, aren't we, folks? I mean, if a person claims to know Christ, yet remains a drunkard, they are deceived and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's not Gary Catherwood saying that. That's the scripture. That's the Holy Bible. Paul's not saying that if you get drunk, you're going to automatically lose your salvation. What he is saying is that a person whose life is characterized by habitual drunkenness is not a true believer. A true believer is characterized by righteousness, not drunkenness or drug use. Only God knows who really belongs to him, and and according to his word, drunkards are not in his kingdom. And if you claim to be a Christian, and and if you have a, a drinking addiction, you better examine yourself. Examine yourself and see if you're really in the faith. And know that God can deliver you from that sinful life. Through the Holy Spirit, you're going to find that joy and comfort that you really need. You'll be forgiven of your sin. And you're going to be given a new start. The Lord says, Through your sin, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like red, like crimson, they shall be as wool. Are you controlled by alcohol or drugs? That's the question I want to ask you tonight. Do you desire liquor or drugs more than reading the Word of God? More than fellowship or witnessing? I mean, if you do, you better examine yourself. You better see where you, if you're really a Christian or not. Be truthful. And you know what else you need to do? You need to confess your sin to God. And listen to me. You need to repent. Repent. Ask him to give you a new life in Christ. I mean, perhaps you're here today and you don't even claim to be a Christian. But you know that you've got a problem with alcohol. You know you've got a problem with some type of drug abuse or an addiction or, or, or some problem with, with, with alcohol where it's driving you down. Perhaps you're here today and, and you know someone else who has a problem with alcohol or drugs. Perhaps a family member, a classmate, someone you work with. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because any, in any case, the bottle is not the answer. Christ is. And the drug is not the answer. Christ is. You know, obviously, there's, there's no easy answer for an addiction. Underneath any addiction, there's this thirst. It's a deep thirst, a seemingly unquenchable thirst for something to satisfy that alcoholic, for something to satisfy that drug addict, something to take away the pain, something to, to remove uh, all their sorrows. In any addiction, there's this an emotional pain It's kind of like a numbing, a psychological or physiological need for a high. Now listen to me. You're looking for answers to your deepest needs in all the wrong places. I mean, most of the time, alcoholics don't even know that alcohol has taken a hold of their life. And that's called the denial stage. Alcoholics feel that that if they can get up in the morning, go to work every day, even though they secretly have an excruciating hangover, well, they don't have a problem. And you know what keeps that alcoholic going throughout the workday? It's knowing that after work, after work, he's going to be able to go down to that local saloon and get that highball or to get those beers, which will in fact make them feel like their old self again. You see, alcohol is not only physically addicting, but it's mentally addicting as well. An alcoholic might believe they feel like uh, that they're better looking when they're drinking. Oh, man, look at these muscles. Look how suave I am. They might still think they can drive a car. Yeah, right. Come on down to my office. I'll show you a few things about alcoholics and drug addiction and driving cars. Lose your license and see what it's like. You lose your license for a DUI, you know what that's going to cost you? Well over $10,000. Alcoholics don't realize that their reflexes have slowed down. They think they're better communicators after several martinis. You want to know what the real truth is? I'll tell you, alcoholics don't know Christ. I mean, they'll, they'll say some of the things that you want to hear. Some of them even go to church every Sunday. But you know, what are their actions telling you? What fruits do you see in them? I mean, spiritually speaking, the alcoholic has allowed another source to be their God, and that's their God's the bottle. This is how alcohol takes control of the, of the life of a human. I mean, their thinking is literally impaired. The alcoholics don't really have a mind of their own anymore. Alcohol speaks for them. Many decisions an alcoholic makes are are based on or or around drinking. They always have a concern about when and where they're going to get that next drink. And you know what? Alcoholics, they're going to make up acceptable reasons why they can drink. I mean, it's a fact of their life. They spend 75% of their time is spent on when and where am I going to get that next drink? But you know what? God can change that. You don't have to be a slave to alcohol or drugs. I'm the administrator of the DUI unit hearings here in Springfield, Illinois. You're all welcome to come down and witness one of these hearings. It would shock you. And by the way, as, as a side note, I've been doing it for 20 years when I first started one out of a hundred people that came in to see me, these are people who lose their license because of DUI. One out of a hundred were women. Women, be proud of yourselves. You've come a long way in 20 years. Now it's 30 out of hundred. Amazing. And these are multiple offenders that we see. Not a first-time offender. Second DUI, third DUI, fourth DUI, five, six, seven, eight. We've had as many as 17 DUIs. We deal with problem drinkers. We see it on a daily basis. But I want to read you a letter that was sent to our department. And I saved it a long time ago. And this is from an admitted alcoholic. And it's from a guy who turned his life around. And he repented of his sin of alcoholism. And you know what? Now he knows the love of Jesus. Just listen. I really wanted to know more about God. And I would ask myself daily, who is God? What can God do for me? I prayed a lot. I cried a lot. And I drank a lot. I desperately wanted God to help me, but I didn't believe it. I was in denial that God could really help me. Many things go through your head when you're trying to discover truth and spirituality in your life when you're still drinking. But one day, several months later, still reading the Bible and doing my own Bible study and research, I began to realize how totally and completely disgusted I was with myself and my drinking. And I incessantly prayed for help from God. And then he quotes a Bible verse from Romans 10, verse 17, which says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing through... hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, I repented of my sin. I asked God to take away the burden of alcoholism from me and to take away the craving for alcohol as well. And I told God that I finally trusted and believed in his power in my life and to help me. And then he concludes with this interesting comment. He says, that was 13 years ago. And I've never had another drink with the exception of a sip of a punch at a wedding that was spiked and I didn't know it. I tasted it and still I didn't want it or like it. I threw it out. You see, God will do for what God will do it. God will do what you ask of him if you just trust him and believe in him. He's going to take away that heavy laden burden from your heart and your mind. There is a way out. What I'm saying is you need to drop that bottle, throw away that needle, and turn to Christ. Let me just read you one verse from the Bible. 2 Peter, I love this verse, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Did you get that? His power. You know, maybe at first glance, it doesn't seem as though Scripture has all the answers for the the out-of-control lifestyle. And as a result, sometimes we we turn to these shady, these shaky observations of the experts. But you know what? If 2 Peter is true, then there are answers to our problems that are found in the Bible. I mean, God is not stingy in revealing himself and his truth to us. You know what my, my advice to you would be? just like the, letter, the writer of the letter that I just read to you. Read that Bible. Study the Bible. And you know what? We should not expect anything that looks like the 12 steps of AA. Alcoholics Anonymous. Instead, Scripture is going to point us to Jesus Christ. I mean, liberation and salvation come from a person, not from some system of ideas and principles. What's a description of an addict or an addiction? How do alcoholics and drug addicts really feel? Well, you know, an addict, they feel as if they're trapped. And if you know an addict, if you know a friend, take this in when you talk to them. Understand what I'm telling you. These addicts, they feel trapped. They feel desperate hungers for thirst for something. I mean, they feel like they can't let go. They're clinging even when the addictive behavior yields very few pleasures and a great deal of pain. I mean, they feel like they are in bondage. Addicts feel out of control sometimes. I talk to them and and, and this is a message we hear all the time up there. Alcohol and, and, and drugs grip these people. It controls their lives. And they feel without hope for freedom or escape. Something or someone other than the living God controls them. And the controlling object tells them how to live, how to think, how to feel. And these people are totally blind to God and their sin. And you know, when anyone talks about sin and addiction, people get very defensive. And they start heading for the exits. I mean, some people get angry that anyone would would add to sin would add sin to what the addict is already experiencing i mean the mention of sin seems to immediately polarize in a culture where self esteem is so popular and high views of self worth are considered psychological essentials but listen to me sin is simply a reality To talk about sin is not cruel or judgmental. It's just simply stating the truth about our lives, about the way we are. In fact, to ignore something wrong in ourselves would be to practice self-deception. And this is especially uh, when when we talk about addictions is exactly what we want to avoid. And furthermore, one of the greatest problems in our culture is a failure to admit that we've done wrong. We don't want to do it. Do our wrongs offend our self of self-worth? Do they offend our sense of self-worth? Perhaps. But you know, we can't coddle to an unrealistic view of ourselves. Because when the price we have to pay is self-deception and its destructive consequences, that's unacceptable. Listen, Scripture insists that sin is even more than a violation of do unto others as you would have them do to you. Sin is ultimately against God. And it's a failure to conform to the law of God in either attitude or action. And while some people are simply frightened by this and prefer to avoid it, others feel like it doesn't really apply to them. I mean, they have no awareness that what they are doing has anything to do with God at all. The problem, they believe, is just simply within themselves. It's neither against God nor others. I mean, it's one thing to acknowledge that we're occasionally wrong, right? But isn't it, it's something else to acknowledge that, that what we did was sin. And that it was against God. But you know, the Bible, however, it, just, it doesn't stop there. It teaches that we sin much more than we even think. And it teaches that sin is our primary problem. I mean, if sin is not the core problem, then let's just throw away the Bible. Because the Bible says that Jesus proclaimed that there is forgiveness in sin. Not through our own attempts to please God, but by placing our confidence in Jesus Christ. In his death. In his resurrection. If sin is not our primary problem in the gospel, then Jesus is no longer the most important thing in the world. Let's just get rid of the Bible, throw it away, it's useless. And that's the, you know what the addict's deepest problem is? Is sin. And the Bible is very clear on this drunkenness is always placed in the category of sin. Always. The Bible says, wine is a mocker, whoever is led astray by them is not wise. But aren't you only hurting yourself? I mean, how is sin against God? And be honest. I want you to ask yourself a question. When you take a closer look at this, you need to ask yourself, who is your master? Is it God or is it your desires? I mean, at root, drunkards are worshiping another god. Alcohol. And the Bible says that you shall have no other gods before me. Now, that made God's top ten. In fact, it's number one. Ten Commandments, look it up, Exodus 20. You see, heavy, heavy drinkers love their alcohol, Pastor, don't they? Heavy drinkers drink neither to glorify God nor to love their neighbors. They drink to indulge their own desires. And whether those desires are pleasure, freedom from pain, alleviation of fear, forgetting, or a host of other reasons, do you understand that alcoholics can't control their drinking? Do you know that? They are so much involved with their drinking, they can't even control it. If you're an alcoholic, you've got this compulsive desire to drink. If you're a drug addict, then you have this compulsive desire to have that drug. And when you drink or you take drugs, your negative personality traits, such as anger, may be intensified. And all your problems may seem to be magnified. And you know what? In order to cover up that addiction, you may tend to overdo it in other areas. Chances are you need a drink at certain times of the day in order just to get along. Just to face your problems or sometimes just to relax. Or you've got to have that drug that has control over your life. You may even drink and take drugs on the job. Happens all the time, folks. We see it every day. I mean, we, they, people come into my hearing because they want to get their license back and they smell of alcohol or they got a Budweiser cap on. Your home life is probably suffering because you're enslaved by sin of your addiction. Quite simply, Mr. or Ms. Alcoholic or Drug Addict, you need to stop. Stop sinning. You need to repent of that sin, and you need to ask God for your forgiveness. You need to turn away from that bottle, turn away from that drug, and turn toward God. Jeremiah 2.13 says, and this is God, he says, My people have committed two sins. They've turned from me, the living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so I ask you, who quenches this deep thirst for something satisfying in life? Only God can do that. People try to fill that thirst with everything but God. And they dig these trenches bigger, longer, and wider. Trying the same things that, that do not work. And do not quench their thirst. Jesus says in John 6:35, just listen. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So you've, you've fallen into a trap, and now your body is physically addicted, as well as psychologically, to whatever addiction you struggle with. And you know what? You need supernatural help to help you escape from that dilemma. You need to begin with God. Repent and ask him to forgive you of your sin. Proverbs, I love the verse, Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And John 1, 8, and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is hope. God is able to deliver you completely. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 9, and verse 10 says... Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this great promise in verse 11. Listen, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is what some of you were. You see, there is a way out. And did you know that God will produce willpower for the powerless? The Bible tells us that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Acts 1.8, and here's the key to beating alcoholism and drug addiction. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. God will give you that power. He will supply you with that self-control. Is there hope? I'm here to tell you, yes, there is. Now, if you have a drinking problem, or you've got a drug problem, or you know someone that's got a drinking or a drug problem... You know what? Those people have probably felt condemned. They've felt condemned, but rather than condemning, however, God emphasizes how to overcome by receiving salvation. What do you need to do? Well, the first thing is you need to start by acknowledging that you're just a helpless sinner and that your only salvation is not through the bottle, but through Jesus Christ. And you need to modify, you need to change your habits. The Bible speaks of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, too, says that you can renew your mind through through your reading and thinking habits. And Mr. Martin, I'm sure you'll agree that the Bible is going to be most helpful. You need to start reading your Bible. Dwell on God and his word rather than your own problems. And if you're not yet a born-again Christian, you need to ask God to forgive you save you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. An unforgiving, unclean drunkard cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Meg. Ain't going to happen. And we've read that in 1 Corinthians. That's the bad news. But there's good news because 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this, listen, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's verse 8. And now for the good news, verse 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You do have a way out. And it doesn't have to be like this. I mean, when just getting up in the morning is a chore, when you find yourself avoiding friends and family, when you can't remember the last time you laughed. When, when you promise that you're going to quit tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. When no one believes, you promise that, uh, believes your promises anymore, not even you. When it seems there's no hope left. When you feel like your life is just out of control. And when you just feel too tired to go on living. And when you wonder, what, what's it like to be normal? When you wonder, what would it be like to be, feel like anything? When you worry at night. and When nothing gives you comfort anymore. When you're so lonely you could cry. When you're afraid that, that if you do cry, you're never going to stop. When joy and peace seem unattainable. When nothing takes away the pain anymore. And when you feel trapped. No way out. It's time to seek help, isn't it? And you don't seek it through the bottles or drugs. Seek it through God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. If you have any questions, I want you to feel free to talk to me afterward. Feel free to talk to pastor, pastor Martin, Pastor Gilly, And there's other pastors here. Talk to them. I mean, we'd be very glad to answer any questions you may have. I would encourage you to contact a pastor and ask for prayer and other help as you need it. Attend a Bible-believing church. Read and study the Bible. And listen to me very closely. And I got this from Gary Gilley. The Bible provides answers and solutions for every addiction and every struggle that you will ever face. Do you believe that? Amen. Pastor, would you close us in a word of prayer? Amen,
1: indeed. Let us pray. Father, we say the amen to what our brother Gary has just shared. Sin is an evil serpent, and it sinks its fangs deep, not only to our bodies, but our souls. But there is one greater than all of these addictions and sin, and even greater than Satan, the great serpent. His name is Jesus. And he is our Savior. Thank you for him. Thank you that he has freed many from the bottle as well as from drugs and many other addictions. He has freed many people from their sins. Father, we pray for those that we know that are still in their sins, including the sins of alcoholism and drug abuse. We pray for them now. We pray for us that we might help them, Father, give us wisdom, courage, and love to reach out on behalf of Christ. We pray, Father, for those that may hear this message on CD, on tape, through our website, even years from now. We pray that your word, your promise would go forth. There is hope through Jesus Christ. Father, bless this message And all the messages of this weekend's conference for the help of those that need it and will find it in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.